All right, Josh Smith here, live in my studio, Flat 5. Uh, my guest today is a good friend and a really great musician. I mean, he's a great guitar player, but he's a really great singer and songwriter. Uh, he's also really smart. He's got a really cool, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, enterprise with friends that uh, he's building something very cool, and we'll, we'll get into that. But he also just has really great records, man. His, his new record, Noisy Feelings, I really like that record. Dude, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on here. One of my favorite artists going, and his name is Ryan Lerman, and please welcome him. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and it's been nice, you know, getting to hang at least a little bit in the last few years and get to know each other. I hope we get to do that more in the future and play more, but I've okay. been asking everybody kind of their path, and since we don't know each other that well, I don't know your story. And what's most just most interesting to me is whether you come from a musical family or not. I didn't. Uh, it was just happenstance that the guitar got put in my hands. How did it end up in your hands? Likewise, yeah. My my uh, parents are lawyers, so the answer is no. Not yeah. not musical. My my uh, yeah. My I guess my mom my mom did sit me down at the piano pretty young like three, four, we kind of had a piano in the house and she showed me like a few things. So I, I guess it was in my head, but um, what got me going and my, my dad's like a music fan, but um, you know, knew how to play a, a couple chords on the guitar. He, he used to play me records as I would go to sleep. And one of them was that Clapton unplugged record. Okay. Yeah. In like the nineties when I was probably, you know, six, seven, and that's what made me want to play guitar. Uh, so yeah, we, he, he, he took me to a music store in Santa Monica and we rented, he rented me a, like a nylon string classical guitar and said, if you keep this up for like, for two months, then, then uh, we'll see if, see if we can buy it for you. <laughs> I like immediately the practical nature, like we'll rent the guitar to see if it yeah, sticks. He, yeah. There was an inherent challenge to like, I dare you to keep this up for at least a month. I don't think you can do it. So I, right. I showed him. Yeah. And how old were you when that happened, when you went and got that guitar? Probably, yeah, probably like, geez, maybe second grade or something. How old are you in second grade? Like seven, uh, eight? I think so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's about when oh, I, I, mean, I That's about when I started taking lessons when I was six. So, I, yeah, that's like first grade or kindergarten i guess so yeah second grade would be like seven or eight i guess yeah something in there yeah six seven eight yeah and did you take lessons uh at that same place where you got the guitar i did there was like uh yeah there there the first was song it I, was I mean you said santa monica no i i've asked my dad to try to figure out where it was because I was so young. All I remember is it was like one of those outdoor-y kind of strip malls with like a second level and it was up on the second level. And obviously mm -hmm. like, I, I feel like I know all the music stores in LA now and, and uh, maybe it's not there anymore. Cause yeah, I've tried to, to ask him what part of town it was in and he doesn't remember. Interesting. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, first song, I took a lesson there and the first song I learned was Day Tripper. And so that, really? that was all I around the house for uh for the first year or so that's a pretty hip first tune i mean i could see that yeah immediately hooking you like the second you learn a riff like that it's like well this is the coolest thing ever 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I taught it to my dad. So the two of us were, <laughs> were just challenging each other to see who could play it better. It's fun wow. for the whole family. Yeah. Well, how, how long did you continue taking lessons there? Well, we, I had kind of a weird like NorCal, SoCal childhood where I was born here and moved up north for like, uh, for a couple of years and moved back for like a year and then back up north. So, um, I don't remember taking, taking consistent lessons down here. Maybe, maybe I took there for a couple months and then, um, and then like the next time I sort of, let's see, is this true? I'm like thinking back the next time <laughs> I remember taking lessons is when I was like maybe 10 or 11. I had this, teacher up north who I'm still friends with. Uh, his name is Chris Collins and he, he's awesome. Um, and he used to come to the house and he had like a, an acoustic guitar with electric strings on it. So he could show, show, like show me the electric bendy licks. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was, he was great and, and super inspiring and kind of showed me like how to write songs even. And, uh, oh, wow. and yeah, that, that was kind of my early, guitar playing life and what kind of music was were your parents listening to in the house like because we know that period of time what was popular but like what was being played yeah. in your house you said clapton already but like what else yeah my uh my dad was is was very much is very much like classic rock so like springsteen okay. and like he loves neil diamond uh there was like some Sinatra. I feel like I don't remember hearing any Beatles for the first time. I feel like I've, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's, I heard it so young. It feels like it's right. always, it's like embedded. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, the yeah, that kind of Beatles were always around like the stones. It's very similar playing. to, to, to my, you know, that's my dad was very much a classic rock guy, but I was lucky. Like he had some, jazz and blues in his record collection so like bb king would come on or he liked mm -hmm. monk so like monk would be on or miles cool. and, uh, yeah and then bruce springsteen all my brothers cooler than my, your dad's cooler than my dad <laughs> I, he, well, he had man he had this massive wall of vinyl and all we did was watch sports but have the sound muted and have a record on so something was on at all times basically that's cool yeah sport muted with vinyl on i gotta try yeah. that that's the that way i amazing. grew up i mean and that's why i mean i'm i'm a sports obsessive you know and those yeah are my two probably my two favorite so things in the world you're a clippers fan aren't you i am a clippers fan yes and you grew up in la <laughs> no no i grew up in florida um the clippers is mostly from moving here the clippers was from okay. moving here um just the a heat didn't exist like yeah, there's no mascot. <laughs> the heat, the heat didn't didn't exist when I was in Miami growing up, and then they came okay. around when I was still a kid. They were an expansion team, so I rooted for the Heat, but it wasn't like ever deep seated. Like I'm a Yankees fan, obviously, because my whole family's from New Jersey and Connecticut, so I grew up a lifelong Yankees fan, like my dad. Um, I grew up a Dolphins fan because they were already there when I was growing up in Florida, and then basketball. It was like I kind of rooted for whoever, and then when I moved here. Clippers games were cheap, so I would go all the yeah. time because I just loved going to games, and I just became a yeah. fan when they were really terrible. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah. Nice. Uh, and so you moved here when you were how old? 22. So that was in uh, 2002. Did yeah. you go to college for music in Florida? I didn't go to college. I, um, I finished high school in 97 and I had already been touring and stuff in my, you know, summer breaks and Christmas breaks and putting out records, doing the blues thing. And so when, when high school ended, I knew I was going to, you know, go straight, straight into more gigs and more touring. Uh, so yeah, my grandparents were not happy, but my parents were cool about it. You went to college though, right? I did. I went to USC. Yeah. Okay. So rewinding, you're playing, you're playing at home, you're taking lessons, you move back and forth from NorCal, SoCal. What's your first like gig scenario? When do you start playing with other musicians? Oof, that's a good question. There was, um, so, so basically, yeah, I grew up with like Clapton was my biggest influence. Uh, mm -hmm. I like read his autobiography, got really oh, yeah. into like Derek and Domino's would come home every day from school and just play along with Layla and other assorted love songs. Mm -hmm. And me, and also uh, like Stevie Ray Vaughan was huge. And like Jimi Hendrix took me a while. Like I didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? When I was a kid, I was mm -hmm. like, cause I was introduced to Stevie first and then heard right. Jimi Hendrix and was like, Oh, so he just took everything that Jimi Hendrix was doing, but played it a lot better and louder and faster and cleaner. <laughs> And so I was like, yeah, I, I get that. That's where it comes from. But I like, I just like didn't quite comprehend like the magnitude of like what Jimmy did until like later kind of college. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, I was very much like blues, blues guy. I had that. Um, and, and then high school, there was no, like, there's nothing to do with blues. It was either like jazz or classical. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I took, I took a lesson when I got to high school with this guy who was like guitar teacher sort of at the, at the high school. And he turned me on to Matheny and Schofield. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember like coming, like never having heard jazz. My, my, he was like, so he gave me these records. He's like, so what do you, what do you think? And I was like, well, I remember saying this. I was like, they have a lot of, they have like good ideas, but they move on from them so quickly. It's like, I wanted, I was just used to guys like playing one riff over and over. Yeah. yeah. It's like they're playing too much. Um, but after that, I got way into uh, West Montgomery and Matheny and Schofield and just went like deep down the jazz, the jazz hole. And uh, so you weren't listening to any other jazz before that guy turned you on to Matheny, huh? And Schofield. No. That was like the intro. No, I had, I had like kind of blue. I had, uh, I had like three Miles Davis like CDs, mm. but I didn't understand. I didn't get it. And like, it didn't particularly like appeal to me until I heard like the guitar aspect yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like typical guitar jazz guy that only listened to guitar, but jazz guitar players for a while. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned school and yes, yeah, it's, it's like jazz and classical. So I went to a performing arts high school and it was pretty much the same. We actually had a rock band too in, in the high school, but, um, cool. you know, at this point I was already gigging. So it was like, it was great to play guitar at school, but it was also like, I didn't want to be told like what to do. Cause I felt like a, a real musician already, which is ridiculous. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but 
did you have a lot did you play a lot at school or was it something you weren't weren't really i did i i just realized i didn't even answer your question about the gigging so there there was a a restaurant called the seafood peddler in san rafael where i grew up (laughs) which is now um you might have played there terrapin crossroads i think i might have played there before yeah so, so Phil Lesh bought this restaurant. I went to high school with Phil Lesh's son, Phil Lesh, bass player for Grateful Dead. And uh-huh. his son, Graham, was one of my best friends in high school. And um, this seafood restaurant off the freeway, there was this woman that played like jazz piano by herself. And uh, she let me, like in high school, as I was learning jazz, she just let me play with her. So like once a week, I would uh, I'd just play like standards with her and uh and then we would like in high school my my buddy jack conti who is in we have scary pockets now he uh we were in a band because i met him when he was a senior and i was a freshman Um, and so we we kind of started this this band together my freshman sophomore year called dopamine uh and we would do you know after he went to Stanford. So when I was a sophomore, he was a freshman at Stanford and we would do mm-hmm. like Stanford battle of the bands and we would do like my, you know, high school talent show and all that stuff. Right. Wow. All right. So I didn't, I but didn't even know no, that. You... There was no lot musically like happening and you know what I mean? Like I didn't feel like I really, I was kind of, I didn't know a lot of people that were like into music that I could play with. Like it was kind of just like me and, jack really yeah interesting i i had nobody basically my age that i hung around with and played with and it's what i think even pushed me further into blues was because it was a place where i could go play with adults and it was like they mm-hmm. they kind of accepted me from a young age and if i if i could have found young kids you know to play with i would have much preferred it probably but it made i don't right. know it's, it's partially responsible for how i ended up i think for sure yeah right Oh man! So you were playing with this woman playing piano, just doing real book tunes and stuff, just standards. Yep, just nice. standards. Yeah, yeah. And then, so what? When you're, when you finish high school, is there even a thought of college? No college. What was your parents' attitude on the subject? That's a good question. Yeah, they. I mean, no college was was not an option. It's not like there was anything else that I would have done if i hadn't gone to college uh so uh yeah um i i i went to college i i applied i went to this we went to this sort of like this private school in um high school in in marin where like there was like 80 kids in my class and like 15 of them went to ivy league school so i i was feeling the fierce competition and and i thought well if I'm a music guy, I'll set myself apart from the rest of the class. So I applied to USC as, as a music major and then thinking that when I got there, I'd switch to something more more practical that my parents would approve of. And, uh, and then I tried to do that once I got there and they said, no, you have to reapply to like the business school if you want to switch majors. So I said, fuck it all. I can get good grades playing the guitar. I'll just do that and see. I can still wow. go to law school. What I was thinking at the time. It and is so. You were thinking that you you were thinking following the in your parents' footsteps. Yeah, yeah. I I I never really thought that I was like uh, 
good enough to like really making a career out of, I didn't know how that what would be possible, me making a, a career out of it. So yeah, it wasn't until I started touring, like after my junior year that I kind of saw like a, a pathway forward as like, okay, well, I at least know that I can be like a side man and then I'll just right. keep writing songs and not, you can't fail if you never stop trying. That was like my... <laughs> that is it i mean it's a the mindset is a really important part of it it's like you know that that whole having a backup plan or not thing if when you don't have one yeah. you're you're left with no choice but to succeed you know exactly yeah, yeah. And that, my dad i forgot that i said that but i talked to my dad recently and he he reminded me that he, they were trying to talk me into having a backup plan and uh and that exactly what you said was my mindset it's like i don't I don't want a backup plan because then I, I won't follow through or, you know, burn, right. burn the boats to take the island. And when you started to do the sideman thing here in L.A. and get called for gigs while you're still in college, what did your parents think then? Like when you started to, you know, maybe make a little bit of money playing the guitar, what was their opinion on it? I, I think once I, once I graduated – there were like a couple serious talks about like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was, mm -hmm. my conviction was so strong that I think they were, they didn't try that hard. I think they, they tried like the, the amount that you, sh you should try to discourage your child from becoming a professional musician, right? <laughs> like a, the responsible amount. And then yeah. they were like, my, my mind was pretty set that I was doing it. And, um, and I think once they saw that I was supporting myself, I mean, I, to be fair, I, I did move in with my grandparents after college. Okay. <laughs> so right. I was supporting myself. Uh, you know, they didn't have to, they never had to send me money for anything. Uh, right. But yeah, I was sort of like touring. And then when I was home, I was at my grandparents' place, just like recording and, and writing. And I did that for, uh, for, yeah, like four or five years after graduating. Right. And did you enjoy the sideman stuff? Like it's for me, I I did basically 10 years of nothing but that. And I did enjoy yeah, parts of it. Yeah. yeah. But did you, did you really like it or was it a means to an end? Man, I would love to hear your, your answer to this uh, question as well. But um, I, I really liked it. I really liked it. I mean, I love the the camaraderie of touring. Do you know what I mean? Like w the first tour that I did was playing guitar for Joshua Radin and Vanessa Carlton was opening. So I would play mm -hmm. duo with her and then I would play in Josh's band. And um, and yeah, it was like, I, I so my mindset, like in college, I was trying like I, I was still really trying to be like a, a proficient like jazz guitar player. So, right. and I never, and there were, I never felt like I, I always felt like I was knocking on the door of like l literacy or fluency, but like had never totally felt like, man, I'm just nailing this. Like I'm on the level. Um, so to like, to go out and like be able to travel with like, and I was like this young kid, like 20, 21, everyone else in the band was like 34, 35. And so to be in that position, like on a bus and traveling and like the music was, 
eh, you know, good, good yeah. enough. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then to get, to get paid for it and to have such a good time and feel like I was like taken under these guys wings. It was just like a, this whole, my whole world sort of possibility sort of like opened up that like, okay, like I might not be able to be Kurt Rosenwinkel right now, but like I can right. definitely do this. And yeah. there's, you know, this, this is fun. So yeah, it was, um, it was cool. Yeah. It's a, it, the initial part is always like mind blowing. So for me, I had done a lot of touring already doing my own stuff you know, and you're talking, I'm a really young kid at that point. So by the time yeah. I got to 22 years old, I had been full-time on the road from 17 to 22. That's all I did. That's was so crazy, in. man. Yeah. The second you, I graduated I mean, I high school, you know, that I was knew it. You were kind of like, you were kind of like blues prodigy kid along, like you were hanging out with Derek trucks. Yeah. And whatnot when you guys were little, yeah, right. Yeah. Like Derek and I used to play together a lot when we were, you know, 13 years old, 14, you know, and so, so yeah, I would be out there. I was putting out records. I was touring. Um, and by the time I was 22, it sounds ridiculous, but I kind of hit the wall. Like I, I needed a break, uh, from yeah. number one, I wasn't making any money, but it didn't matter. I lived with my writing? parents. Were you writing too or were your records? I was, oh yeah. No, I was writing. Okay. It was all original tunes. I, I had a vision, you, you know, for what I wanted like to do. Johnny Lang, like that whole yeah, it was Johnny Lang, yeah. Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Um, yeah, you know they were doing better than Derek, you know, and I were at that time right. better than Bonamassa was doing. Uh, you know, there was a time Joe and I, I would say we were in the equal level. You know, because um, uh, yeah, Johnny and Kenny were doing so great, and I thought, oh well, my time's coming because Johnny and Kenny got signed, and I'm going to get signed, right. and, and that's kind of what made me kind of just hit the wall. I I, I turned 22. I met who was going to be my wife, my future wife, and I wanted to be like an adult. And I think I thought then at the time, maybe the difference between me and all these other guys was maybe I was a better guitar player. Maybe I could go just be a guitar player. Maybe I'll take a break from this. So I came to L.A. literally just sight unseen. I had no idea what I was going to do. And it wow. took a while, but I started to get gigs. And then ne next thing I knew, I was going on the road just like the same scenario you just played out. You know, you get a gig yeah. and you go on a bus for the first time with a, a guitar yeah. tech. And, you know, and what were those gigs for you? Like, what, who were you playing? Yeah. So the first, the first gig I got with this guy, Ricky Fonte, who was on Virgin Records. Um, and he was doing soul, like throwback soul music way ahead of the curve, like way before Amy Winehouse and, and everybody else was doing it. And he was actually really good, but it, it never hit for him. But we've all done those gigs with like major label artists, at least back then, where you go on the radio tour with them and play every morning at a radio uh, station. And then, uh, you know, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, all the TV shows, all it's just promotion. It's basically all promotion. And yeah, I remember doing those gigs and feeling like, wow, I'm a, I'm an actual like musician now. I'm not just like blues guy. I'm, I'm a regular musician. And so I, I'm super thankful for like that 10 years of doing the, doing all the sessions I did and all the sideman stuff. It made me a way better musician, uh, made me way, way more diverse and, and, and all that. But I missed like doing my thing like tremendously. And how, 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 like, were you taking lessons for a long time or did it just come easily and you were self-taught i took lessons from six till about 12 or 13 and 
I switched teachers a few times. Like my first guy was a jazz guy. My next guy was a full-on blues, like, you know, middle-aged blues guy. And then the last teacher was like a shredder, like an Eddie Van Halen guy. But he, he, he knew a ton of theory. Did he teach you how to do that? <laughs> yeah, I wish, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but he was really good on just hammering theory into me. He was really good at that gotcha. and fundamentals and stuff. Yeah. And, but, but, man, by the time I was 13, I was gigging quite a bit, so much so mm-hmm. that that was really the, the – the biggest impetus between my growth, not the lessons anymore. It was the gigging and the application. And so I just dove further into that when that became the option, you know? Nice. Yeah. But man, the one thing about the sideman thing that got to me quickly after the first few years, and then I got, you know, then I started touring with like, you know, American idol winners. Like we all do here in LA, all the shit that we do. Um, And it was like, man, that feeling of you come home from a, a year almost of work maybe with somebody where you've toured yeah. eight months, you know, and you've done TV and you've done this and that, and you had a good year. And then you have like nine months where you make no money, you know, and you play local yeah. gigs. Oh yeah. And I repeated that cycle enough times to where it was like, I, I don't think this is for me anymore. You know, yeah, totally. did you, did you feel that? Oh Yeah. Yeah, so my, my path was sort of, um, I, did, I did that tour that I mentioned when I was still in school, got out of school, and then I started, like, pretty quickly, I did this audition and got, um, started playing with this band called A Fine Frenzy, mm-hmm. which was this girl, like, redhead singer-songwriter, Allison Sudol, who is now, she, kind of, she, she was awesome, like, really good, like, great singer and like we became friends and her music was good um like she put out she made a bunch of cool records and then now she's in those uh, harry potter spin-off movies so she's kind of she's become oh, really? like this kind of famous like uh, actress which is awesome um wow but yeah so i i toured with her for for almost two years um that was my first like we did we went everywhere sort of like around the world kind of like Mm. festivals just kind of like mid-level um touring like thousand person room 1500 person rooms nothing crazy but like you go everywhere yeah um and in that band that was the first time i played bass she she didn't during the audition she didn't like any of the bass players so she asked me and another guitar player to, to split that chair and I reluctantly, I was like, "Ugh, I don't want to play the fucking bass." And I was like, "All right, I guess I'll, I guess I'll try to play them." So I played a couple songs on bass. He played a couple songs on bass. The drummer like played a song on the bass. We just kind of like, you know, shared shared the bass. Um, and then from there, um, I play started playing with Ben Folds, who also on bass, play with right? Me. Yeah, because Ben yeah. doesn't have a guitar player, so. Um, so my friend Jack actually recommended, uh, me to play with Ben cause Ben had met Jack and, uh, at like a music conference, they did a song together. Ben asked Jack to play with him cause Ben's bass player had just quit, mm-hmm. um, or got fired or I don't know what happened. Uh, and Jack doesn't really play bass. So, so Jack told me like, Hey man, if, if he asked me to play bass, like you could, you could definitely do this. Right. Um, so I lied and told him that I played the bass 
And he, he said, great, I don't really do auditions, so we'll just start touring. The, here's the dates. And uh, yeah, so I went, I didn't even own a bass at that time. I went to Guitar <laughs> Center and bought a bass and an amp. And I literally, uh, I, 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 I made a Spotify playlist of every single Ben Folds song because I didn't really know his music at that point. And uh-huh. just dove, like I went hard on like I took a couple of lessons with Jerry Watts, who you probably know. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember like that first lesson, Jerry was like, so who are you playing with? And I was like, uh, playing, playing with Ben Folds and his, the look on his face because of how I couldn't even play the bass, he was just like shocked that I was <laughs> doing that gig. Um, so yeah, I had, as you can understand, severe, deserved uh, imposter syndrome. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically just like transcribed the bass note, notes on every single recording that he had made. So I could play the bass, like the exact bass lines from the record of every song. Right. And that's kind of how I started until I eventually Man. figured out how to, how to play that instrument. That's crazy. But then to, sorry, I keep not answering your questions. To... Uh, um, I got home from that tour. That was like, I was with Ben for maybe two years and I was like 25, 26 and went through exactly what you're talking about where I like, I had just put out my first record and I had mm. just done all this touring and I got to this place where like, okay, I've been releasing songs on YouTube, but like I had kind of like spent the money that I had made touring and I had this girlfriend who like, I had to remember having this talk with her where I told her like, I can't really afford to keep buying all of uh, your food because <laughs> I'm not making, I'm out of money. And is it, do you mind if we kind of split the meals like for, for a while until and she was like, okay. Uh, but yeah, I remember like being, having this a lull where I'd experienced like a little, a little bit of like success. Um, and uh, and then like being 25 and 26 and just feeling like nothing was happening um, yeah. and like I wasn't making money anymore. And I was again, like sort of cons- reconsidering my like conviction. And um, and yeah, I had like it was a tough it's like a tough year or so where I was trying yeah. to figure out like exactly like w- what is my thing and what should I be? How should I be spending my time? Yeah, it's a it's a weird feeling, you know, because we we've all been on that tour that's like you stay in fucking four seasons hotels and you yeah. you play on david letterman and fucking you yeah. flying first class and then you come home and it's like yeah literally months and months go by where you make no money no and money. i realized no, this could be my ring. life it was like this could be the next 30 years of my life if i don't watch it like yeah. it will be me waiting for phone calls and emails and then having a great time and then again me waiting for phone calls and emails you know and it was totally i knew i couldn't do it anymore and it was like as much as i felt like i grew a lot as a musician like when i got playing with rafael sadiq that was a blast like great band great music i enjoyed it and it was I years i know you did that that's awesome Oh yeah, dude! I played off and on you, with him. So for... Is that how you met Lamar? Oh yeah, that's how I met Lamar. Yeah, yeah. And was Danny that's playing bass? Danny, well, at first, yes, Danny was playing bass at first, and then Calvin and came Calvin. in playing bass. Yeah, and dude, you know, I saw you guys. I saw you play. You played like a New Year's Eve gig. I, 
I assume yeah. you were playing in that band up in like Northern California. Yeah, and when, absolutely. Uh, Danny and Lamar were playing. Yeah, that I band was, was so good. That's um, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was like I felt like at the end of that, like man, I won't find another gig that was that enjoyable. You know, yeah, and that one was wasn't the nowhere near the best paying gig I'd ever done, but it was the most uh-huh. enjoyable. And it was like, right. Also, this weird thing started to happen where I was getting like some sort of publicity or whatever recognition just as a guitar player and not as like my old thing anymore, not like blues and not as an artist. And so I thought, well, I should maybe capitalize on that. It it just kind of happened in a natural way where I started to do my own thing again and release records again and, and those type of things. But yeah, it was definitely conscious. Like, man, I don't think I can do this sideman thing forever and be like a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're really, you're, you're like, there's so much uncertainty when that's your life. Do you know what I mean? Because you really don't know when the next thing is coming and it's not in your control, whether you get called for something or not. And it was putting a lot, I mean, quite honestly, it puts a lot of pressure on your significant other. So my wife, she was the rock of my family. You know, she still is. Mm -hmm. But especially then when I was touring, if I had good years, we had a great year. But if I had bad years, she was, she had to pay all the bills, you know? So it was very much putting a lot of pressure on her. And I wanted to figure out a way to relieve some of that pressure, you know? Yeah. Right. Which means being as diverse as possible, which kind of leads us to where you are now, which is as diverse as possible and finding new avenues and ways to do things that really are, are completely new, you know, ways to distribute music, ways to create a fan base and audience. You know, uh, I know you and Jack have been friends for a long time. When did, when did you start to like see even just a little bit of like, oh man, this could be like a real way to not only find my own voice, but to, to actually like make a living in a way that I'm, I'm happy doing it. When, when was the first like instance where you, you felt that was possible? You're talking specifically about scary pockets. No, not necessarily just scary pockets, but just, just the way that, yeah, I guess maybe scary pockets, but you know, the way that you can maybe make a living doing something that you actually enjoy and that's yours. Um, but you know, a new way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess to, to connect the, the dots to, to like, um, the, the folds thing and then the, which is followed by like the year of, of depression. Um, I sort of, when uh, did you meet Lamar? Was it for the John legend thing or did you know him before then? I knew, um, so Danny, and his brother and do you know andrew yeah of course yeah okay andrew by the way is like maybe my favorite guitar player he's a bad Um, dude (laughs) yeah he he uh um he and danny were a couple years older than me in college and um and they were i was like sort of like uh i did my homework and they just hung out and uh and i (laughs) but i feel like i learned more about music from them than in any of my classes because they just always had such great taste and knew what was cool. And like Andrew introduced me to Randy Newman, which like changed my life. Right. And, um, and, uh, so I, I, I've always looked up to those guys. I still look up to those guys. And, um, and they had a band a couple years out of college called Inc or teen yep. Inc. 
Yeah. And so I, that was the first time I saw Lamar was oh, um, okay. playing with, with that band. And then, um, and then, yeah. So following, let's see, I was 25. I started playing. I just kind of came out of that, the low year um, by getting uh, started playing with Michael Buble. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so I did that for like a year, year and a half. And then, um, was that and enjoyable? It was, man. It was my first, like, it was my first arena touring. So yeah. I felt like I had just sort of been climbing this ladder of like clubs and then like the sort of mid-level kind of theatery stuff. And then Folds was doing like bigger theaters in, in most mm-hmm. places. And then to go into arena touring with Buble felt like, okay, that was the thing when I was in college that was like my goal. It was like, I saw my friends, like I saw Andrew playing with Robin Thicke at the Staples Center. And I was like, man, to be like a sideman on arena tour, like that, that sounds like fun. Um, so yeah, I, the, the, um, so I started playing with Buble, which was, which was, it was really fun. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's so many layers to every gig and like pros and cons, but for the most part, like I loved him and I loved the band and um, became really close with, um, with all those guys. And, uh, and yeah, the, 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 like musically that chairs such a, like I was kind of Swiss army knife guy. I was playing guitar and keys. I was doing like synth, a lot of synth string doubling shit and I was singing and I was playing bongos, which they love to give me a hard time about. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but that was great. And then I, and then I got the call um, from John legend to do, to be his music director. Um, And so we did, we did like a six month or four, four month tour, something like that. That was uh, he and I with the string section, um, which is really fun. Um, one of the most like musically satisfying gigs that I've had just in terms of like freedom to adapt his entire thing to just a string quartet pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we added a rhythm section, which is when, uh, I don't think I really knew Lamar well before that, but I just knew, I, I knew that, that band that you were in, uh, and I knew that rhythm section. So yeah, I was sort of like tasked with adding a rhythm section to like the John Legend, me and strings. And, and so brought in Lamar and Danny. Um, and I think Cave might've been Cave and Lamar first. And then um, Danny, I think replaced Cave when Cave couldn't do some gigs anyways. Um, but yeah, that whole thing was, was a blast um and lamar's like i just think the world of that guy man yeah yeah i mean you know he's my favorite without question yeah me too me too yeah oh so so then when does after all that stuff all the side man stuff being you put out more record i know you're always putting out records in between too i mean you're putting out solo records and songs when does you know the idea of like making a living without being a sideman, when does that click for you? Totally. So, so this, the second wave of touring, which was like, I was going back and forth from Buble legend for like three, four, 
um, years. And then I had a second wave of depression after that, of, <laughs> of, let, of let down of like, okay, now I've climbed even further up the mountain yeah. um, and sort of seen what that looks like. I saw like the trajectory yeah. of like, I could just do this. I could just like this, a lot of guys get a gig like this and then mm -hmm. that's the rest of their life. Like you could tour with those guys for the next 20 years if you want to, you know, legacy, like touring artists. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just kind of came back to like, you know, the feeling of, of unsatisfaction starts to creep in. And like, if I'm not, if I don't feel like I'm growing, um, I'm typically just start to get like, you know, antsy and, and, you know, so that, that's what was happening. I was finding it like difficult to keep writing and to keep getting better while being on tour so both those things ended. I came home and I was, uh, yeah, kind of just like, um, I was in town. I had just met um, Theo. Do you know Theo Katzman from Volpe? I know who he is, but I don't know him actually personally now. Yeah. So, um, so I, I had met, so I was having breakfast with Ben Folds and he said, like, man, there's this group, there's this band that my daughter just turned me on to. This guy's on YouTube. And, like, you, you probably know these guys. Um, and it ended up being Wolfpack, and I, I didn't know them. And even when, when I saw the video, he, we, he, like, showed me a video of them, and I realized, um, I was like, yeah, I don't know any of these guys. After the fact, I realized I had played a gig with Theo, like, six months prior, where I was sort of winding down touring, but... Ben Rose, great, you know, friend of mine, had uh, put together this gig where it was me and Theo and Laura Mace. Okay. And then Ben and, like, and a, a bass player, and it was Nick Klingenberg. And we played, like, some of my songs. We played some of Theo's songs, and Laura sang, and we all sang together. And that was, that was like, this sort of, like, landmark gig for me because I was sort of unsatisfied with the road, did this gig in town, met Theo, and it was so much, so much fun. He had just moved to LA, and it was sort of like, okay, I need to be at home doing stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then realized when Ben showed me that video that like, oh, that was because Theo, when I played with him, was playing guitar and singing, and the Wolf stuff I saw, he was playing drums. So I, he had a big right. beard, and I didn't put it together. Anyways, so I sort of... Um, was in town more. I met Theo and started hanging out with like the Wolf guys. And then um, I turned 30 and the day after I turned 30, Jack was down for my birthday and we went on this walk. And Jack was in a place where he had just started Patreon like two years before that, and, right. which was taking off hugely successful. And Jack has, you know, always been one of my favorite musicians, you know, best friends. And he had this idea. He was like, cause he was, also a big wolf fan and uh and so he had this idea we went for this walk and he had he had like made like a deck like a tech pitchy kind of like deck of like what if you and i started a funk cover band we'll record i'll fly down one day a month we'll record four songs and release them once a week and it'll just be like he showed me theo's um theo has a video for his song hard work where it's like 
it's just the band playing it in a room, single shot on a tripod. And he was like, we'll just do this and we'll, we'll make funk covers of pop songs. And, uh, and it just, yeah, it didn't take very long. I mean, it sort of, it sort of felt like I'd been trying to do my thing for so long to like mild success. Like friends seemed to kind of like what I was doing, but there wasn't breaking through, like nothing was really happening. And, um, and then Jack, we did that. We did sort of, you know, Jack's idea put together. I put together the session and we filmed these videos and maybe like this, the sixth one that came out or something, um, or like the fourth, like it was very quick, just like got 10 million views in like a week on mm-hmm. Facebook. And um, it honestly felt like we had a fan base overnight all of a sudden. Sure. Um, yeah. And uh, and so we we sort of kept doing it and refining it and and it's it's sort of it became like this fun synthesis of like and a cool example of like me kind of stumbling through and not really being sure like what my thing was like I had this kind of music director skill set I had this like producerial sort of skill set I had a ton of you know musician friends from touring for all those years and um and you know as a guitar player and whatnot I I yeah it just became this this way to like use all of that and put it together in a way that was like we weren't trying we had no expectations like there was no pretense it was just like have fun and and see what happens and um and it was just this sort of lucky like happenstance thing that happened to click and work and give us a sort of vehicle for um so so i i don't i don't remember exactly when it clicked that this might actually be like a profitable endeavor maybe right. like <laughs> I mean, we definitely went into the red for the first year and a half or so. Jack and I just like spending money trying right. to get the thing off the ground. But but it's uh, so so yeah, maybe maybe like a a year into that, you know, once it became like once we started breaking even, I was I sort of felt like, and once we played like started playing live shows and people were like coming out. I kind of started seeing the potential for um, for like, you know, just kind of seeing the future of a way that this like can grow and lift up the whole community. And like, it doesn't even feel like my thing, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels like this thing that we all do together that just lifts like the whole community up. So yeah, I, I definitely couldn't have planned on that happening or, Sure. And I don't know what yeah. I'd be doing if it hadn't happened, but I'm, I'm just lucky and <laughs> happy that it's been, it's been fun so far. Yeah. And I mean, man, the biggest, you know, whatever blessing is, yeah, you just get up and do something that's really fun for work, basically. Yeah. You know, I, there's no replacing that. Like when, when you, when you enjoy what's going on, nothing else kind of really matters, quite honestly. <laughs> totally. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I've learned so much from it that applies to other endeavors as well, which is, which is like exactly what you just said. What, 
what that project because i i we'd do these recordings and i'd hear it back and there's bleed everywhere and like coming from pristine like audio production i was just like this sounds like shit this is not gonna work and seeing people respond to it just like gave, made me realize like what are we doing like we're 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 creating an emotion that like travels through sound and makes people feel something and that's kind of all that matters is like it doesn't matter you know necessarily if you're playing perfectly or if you're recording at the yeah. highest fidelity it's like just you know have if you're coming from like a genuine place and you're actually creating emotions with your friends like that yeah. kind of translates um, and it taught me like the importance of like just a performance um so yeah, yeah a valuable lesson to be learned in there dude and it's exciting to think about you know like just where you'll end up taking it moving forward because it's like you know again with anything you never know how long things will last what what the end game is going to be but it's like you yeah. have there's a lot of opportunity for to take it in cool ways and just make, you know, continue the ride and keep it fun, basically. Totally. Yeah. Amen. And that's, I mean, dude, that's what else do, could we ask for other than to make a living and be having fun playing music again, there's nothing totally. better. Uh, exactly. All right. Well, let me get into the, the 10 questions then. Cause that's a good place to start. Let's do it. All right. Number one. When you started learning and playing, what was the first thing that when you figured it out, I guess maybe it was Day Tripper, but what was the first thing that when you figured it out, um, you just, you felt like uh, you couldn't fail now. You were so proud of yourself. You had, you know, you, it was no turning back. Yeah, man, I felt like, okay, so I remember like playing along with like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Texas Flood or whatever. And I remember realizing that like I could figure out what key a song was in. You know, <laughs> yeah, like I, rem I like remember figuring that out. Like, oh, anything in this, anything in this scale, like this is the root, anything in here works. And I remember like um, just realizing that I could like hear like a, a lick within a scale and then figure out how to play it. Yep. Um, and that was like a um, a sort of moment where, oh, dude, where that, something that feeling is so amazing when it's like you find what key it's in and then automatically you're off. You're just improvising right. something. It may be a bunch of bullshit, but it's it's coming yeah. out of nowhere. Exactly. I, I remember clearly being 10 years old and having my guitar teacher invite me to a jam with a bunch of adults, just like at a backyard mm -hmm. somewhere. And the first like the being able to they said okay this song's in a and i had no idea what it was and it wasn't even a blues it was probably like louis louis or why it was a blues kind of but not a 12 bar you know what i mean and yeah. but they just said okay go and i could i could do something that worked yeah that's it there's no turning back after yeah. that when you feel that feeling you know yeah totally totally yeah. awesome man all right so then what's the first solo that you ever learn note for note was there was that a thing you did and do you remember oh, yeah. just totally freaking you out and having to learn it yeah i remember tightrope oh yeah right. yeah i remember that was really early um i remember crossfire mm -hmm. yeah learned that really early um and then 
you know Julian Lodge? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so my dad, um, there was an article about him in our like local paper, and he okay. and uh, he was like jazz prodigy. He was yeah, you know, probably like I think I'm a year or two older than him. And mm. it said in the article that his um, his teacher was this guy Randy Vincent. So my dad said maybe you should study with this guy. And anyways, I ended up connecting with Julian. And I went over to his house when we were we were so young. I was like maybe 15 or 16 and he was maybe 14 or something. And he showed me um, he showed me this West Montgomery solo, uh, uh, Blue and Boogie. Do you know uh-huh. that song? Yeah, yeah. That remains just like one of my one of my favorite solos of all time. Uh-huh. He was playing it note for note and it was so inspiring to he turned me on to a bunch of cool shit that really influenced me even man julian as a guitar player even being like two years younger than me was such a big influence i remember hearing him when he was like eight playing with like on a david grisman record and realizing when i was like 16 that he was he was better than me when he was eight years old (laughs) man did you ever get together uh with bruce foreman up there i mean i know you probably at usc but up what about up in the bay area I did, yeah. I started right. playing. I started studying with Bruce before he came to USC, okay. um, because my friend Brady had Brady Cohan. I had studied with him when he was in high school, I think. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I I studied with Bruce for maybe like four years. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did Julian ever study with Bruce? No, not that I know of. I didn't know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I don't think they ever crossed paths. Weird. All right. Uh, what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Is there somewhere your hands just go automatically without and, thought? Um, yeah. Is there? That's a good question. I kind of do. I kind of will play like chromatic. I think. I kind of do that or like run through some like beat, uh, like, I don't know. I, I kind of start playing some stuff like that just to get warmed up normally. Mm. Uh, yeah. What about if you're, uh, if you're in a music store and you're checking out a guitar with the intent of knowing if you like oh, it or yeah. not, is there something you do that lets you know whether you like a guitar, like something you do to check a guitar out? Man, that's a good question. Uh, is there something I do? I mean, I don't know if, if there's anything I play. To, I kind of just play up and down the neck and make sure that the notes work. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's if there's a guitar testy song that I have. <laughs> I'm always checking resonance like so i'll normally the first thing i'll do is this and then just like feel the body you know what i mean and see if i you feel can tell before you start playing you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. you can tell by how light a guitar is like you yeah. can tell just sit down with a guitar and if you feel you know if you lots of times man i mean this is this is like a whole other hour-long rabbit hole that we can go yeah. down but wow. but uh mason stoops has changed my entire world uh he he like he introduced me to to um the rabbit hole that is reverb.com 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long ago, but, but like he totally like just changed my entire, before that I was like, I would never buy a guitar without playing it. Yeah. And, um, and after doing it, he kind of like pushed me over the edge and I realized like I've been, I've basically like sold 90% of my guitars and bought equally as many guitars over the last like six months. And they're all just like, I, there's like, you can tell, you know what I mean? Like the realization that like, you can tell just by looking at a guitar, what it's probably going to sound like. And most of the time you'll be right. Most of the time. Sometimes though, you, you pick one up and it's just like, oh, this, this doesn't sound the way it should. Nope. This doesn't have it. You know what I mean? You just put it back. Right. Right. Uh, Right. Oh man. All right. Number four. Do yeah. you have anything that kind of plays in your head, like a musical narration, like when you're driving or when you're, you know, cooking breakfast or something? So I'm hearing normally some sort of shuffle. Uh, so he's in B flat pretty much. I'm hearing like Charlie <laughs> Parker pretty much all the time. You know what That's I mean? Awesome. What, wow. Is there anything you hear a lot of times? It just comes, you don't even realize it. It's just always there. Oh, man. That's a great question. I've never thought about that. Um, Yes. You know what? You know what? The answer is yes. It's the theme to Indiana Jones. No shit. It does not. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For whatever reason, I can't. That's always in my head. And um, the B section. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Ever since my friend told me the lyrics to that song. <laughs> I don't know the lyrics to that song. Indiana fucking Jones. <laughs> Indiana motherfucking Jones. Indiana fucking Jones. Bite my ball sack, you Nazis. I'm Indiana fucking Jones. But bite my ball sack, you Nazis. That's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Those are the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, see, Star Wars works its way into my head quite often during the day, but only the mm. Imperial March. Like, I just hear, like, you know, yeah, all the time. Such a great score. Yeah. Uh, well, same guy. Well, what do you know? He's pretty good, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, a B side to that question is, and I've been uh, kind of keying on it lately and trying to take stock of what do I hear when something comes on? So, like, when you're in a car, and a tune comes on that you've never heard before. Anything, some music, yeah. right? What's the f- first thing you normally hear? Is it like a counter melody? Is it an improv over the top? Is it a rhythmic idea, like a counter rhythm or something? Did you ever like pay attention to like what's really the first thing you hear when you hear a piece of music that you've never heard before? Yeah. Like, are you asking what is the what do you pay attention to? What part of the song do you pay attention to? No, no, to, no, not, not necessarily what you pay attention to, but sub it could be that. But like subconsciously, what's your like initial reaction? Like, dude, I'll, I'll be in the car and I'll notice. I'm trying to like notice it as it happens. Like, if Katy Perry comes on the radio or something, yeah. I'll normally notice either like a harm a harmony to her vocal, or like maybe I'll just be playing a solo in my head. Through the changes, ignoring what's yeah, going on. About what you would do if you were playing along with it. To some degree, yeah. Or maybe I'll just yeah. hear if it's boom, ba, boom, ba. Maybe I'm hearing, dun, 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 
I'm just hearing a rhythmic pattern or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I've been trying to yeah. key into it, though, and, and take, take stock of it, I guess. Totally. It's a good question. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's one thing. I guess the, the first thing when I listen to something new is, like, I'm kind of paying attention to how it makes me feel. Do you know what I mean? I'll like start there and then try to figure out why it's making me feel that way. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the, good, um, the why is important, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And then the other thing that I think I sort of do is try to anticipate where the melody is going. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. lots of times yeah. I'll hear songs sort of that I'm not paying attention to. And then, get an idea for another song because I'll hear in my head where I would have gone with that melody. And like 99% of the time, it's not where the melody actually went. And then a new, then you have a new song. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think that might be my, in, my intuition is to like try to predict um, where the melody is going. Yeah. Interesting. And some, sometimes you're right. Sometimes it is just as simple as I'm thinking of it kind of like as a session guy, like, what would I play right now to add to this song? You know, I'm, I'm always kind of hearing that too, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five. And I don't know when this is an interesting question, but when did you feel like, or do you feel like you started to maybe find a voice that might be your own on the instrument? Like maybe, maybe you wrote something that you felt like this is uniquely me, or maybe you stumbled upon a, an idea that you thought this is uniquely me, or maybe even someone else pointed it out to you. Like, dude, that thing you do when you play like this thing, like that, you should do more of that. Do, do you remember any mm. moments like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like, yeah, I, I wrote this, um, here. I wrote this thing when I was like in high school where um, I couldn't, I didn't know what the chords were called, but it was mm -hmm. this sort of like finger picky thing. And, uh, and I was sort of just using my ear and then it went here. Um, And I, I didn't know what all, any of those chords were called yet, but I sort of just like found my way through this progression. And right. that, that was, that sort of felt like my, just like the, everything that I have done since then kind of feels like it was somewhere in that progression. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah, like absolutely. these sort of like melancholic chords. And then like, I always like chords with, a different note in the bass, you know, fifth mm -hmm. in the bass or whatever. Yeah. The diminished thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hearing, like, which I guess a lot of that kind of comes from listening to Elliot Smith, maybe, um, oh, okay. and, like, the Beach Boys. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. very much my sort of writing zone. Um, but, yeah, that, that was, I remember that being a moment of, like, oh, yeah, that kind of feels like me. And so when you recognize that, do you kind of make every – uh, you know, effort to kind of push further down that lane once you recognize it? I mean, sometimes I try to go the opposite way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, just because it feels like once you've, I feel like once I write a song, like 
I don't need to keep writing that song. It's like, <laughs> right. Um, well, it's weird for me. I tie most of my individuality as a player. The things that I think make me me are almost 90% tied to improvisation and soloing. So or, yeah. not just soloing, but just improvisation in general. So not that I don't concern myself about the songs that I write, you know, being original, but it, to me, they're more like I write them because I'm trying to convey a certain message or feeling, but I don't worry about like, oh, this song is too much like this or too much in this style. So it's weird. Like most of my my voice, I think, is tied to improv, at least the way I think about it. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, but it, it's a weird thing. Like when you – I always try to make whatever decisions take me further that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 How, how do you – I mean, man, I feel like I, I could uh, – we could flip this and I could inter interview you for two hours. I have so many questions, but right. uh, I, I don't even know if I should, <laughs> if I should ask questions or if I should. Sure. Like, yeah, no, sure. Yeah. You got, go ahead, man. How, well, yeah. I would be curious, like, especially for you where so much like you had it from so young. Do you know what I mean? You could do it for, from so young that I'm curious, mm -hmm. like how you feel like your improvisation has evolved over the years. And that's part one. And then part two would be like, what are you thinking about um, when, when you're playing and, and like what part of part three, what part of the way that you improvise is unique to you? Right. Um, well, it's definitely a evolved a lot over the years. I mean, some of it has changed based on the 10 years of, sideman work and playing music that I yeah. never would have played if I had stayed in my own zone all that time, you know? So that, that was a big part of me growing as a musician. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the realization that I started to find maybe my voice and it was the combination of factors of, you know, the love for blues and the, the appreciation of it. And also honestly, the amount of homework I'd put into learning the history of it and all those things. And then, yeah, some love for, you know, jazz and love for country and love for, you know, mixing yeah. these kind of techniques into one vocabulary. Uh, that's when I started to feel like I found like a little bit of my voice. Uh, and then. How you know, old were you when all of that? Because I do feel like, man, there's there are so few guys who can pull off like even just and you can do much more than that. But those three things of just like playing blues so true to its its tradition its history and then and then being that deep in country and in jazz and that sort of that unique blend is like what, uh, when did all that click it was gradual but certainly there were moments where it was like big moments were like when i realized it was just okay like hearing like uh robin ford at first i didn't like robin ford oh yeah like I didn't, huh. dig, I didn't dig it because I was a blues guy only and he was yeah. playing blues, but it wasn't like stinky enough for me. He didn't bend enough right. strings. And you know, I was, I liked Albert King and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Otis Rush, you oh, know, yeah. and it was like, yeah. but then I heard Robin play with Jimmy Witherspoon and Charlie Musselwhite playing blues, like older Robin. And it was like, mm -hmm. it became obvious to me. Oh no, 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 no. This guy knows his shit and he respects blues yeah. as much as anybody. He loves it. And maybe yeah. it's okay to like play this other stuff that I'm hearing. It doesn't mean I'm, ch I'm cheating on the blues. You know what I mean? Yeah. And right. then, 
then Danny Gatton was the other one. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, he had the same, he had all this jazz knowledge and he liked the blues. Yeah. And then he had all this technique that was coming out of fucking left field for me, right. which I wanted to learn. But then it was even more than that. It was like, no, he'll play anything anytime it doesn't matter he's just yeah. playing whatever he hears and feels and there's no filter and it's fucking okay yeah. to do that and that was big yeah. too to like you know because in the blues world it's very close-minded so i mean i still run into it all the time where it's like i play too much jazz to be a blues guy or too much rock to be a blues right. guy but i play too much blues to be a jazz guy you know what i mean it's like right. i'm, I'm yeah. running into that my whole life you know but but i also think it is what makes me me and I, like I said, I try to make yeah. every choice to go further down whatever that hole is. Maybe it doesn't mean the most successful path, but at least it's my path. Man, the success, you can't control that shit. Exactly. Don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I think. And then what am I thinking when I'm improving? Oh, I'm trying not to think about anything. I, uh, but if yeah. I am thinking, it's about what chords next. That's it. That's usually the only <laughs> thing on my mind. You I don't know. How do you feel that about that? Um, how do I feel about what? What is that? What, what do you think? Like, I try to be, I try not to think at all. Like I should play this scale over this chord, or I should play this interval or this interval. I try to let that shit just happen and just focus on what the actual next chord is so I can make a path. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Trying to hear, try, trying to hear through to the end of the sentence, right? Is, yeah, yeah. is the goal. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, when I'm when I'm improvising, yeah, it's a combination of oh shit, this is happening, and uh, <laughs> and just try. I mean, honestly, just trying to be as melodic as possible and follow the the phrase. But mm -hmm. I do feel like I do feel like there's it's like a combination. Like there's a certain um, vocabulary that I feel like you just kind of develop over the years from all oh, that yeah. stuff that you transcribe that that um like maybe i feel like keith jarrett is kind of like the ultimate like that motherfucker is truly like he's totally unbridled mm -hmm. by like you know uh technique uh he's just like truly in the moment like pure improvisation um yep. but but us lower us mere mortals i sort <laughs> of feel like yeah i'm I'm probably tied to like what I can execute and the stuff that sort of feels good under the fingers, but then yep. also trying to like be as in the moment and as melodic as, as, as I can. Yeah. It's you're balancing between like what you really hear, what you feel and what you're trying to convey yeah. and what you can yeah. actually physically pull off. Totally. You know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it was just like, there's a decision that you can kind of like, there's, there's so much of improvising, which is like mental and approach and like, how safe do you want to be? Like, like, yeah. do you want to go for some shit that like you, you know what I mean? Like you'll be in certain situations where like you're taking, you feel like just relaxed and able mm -hmm. to take like a ton of risk. Yeah. And there'll be other like moments where like, if, like if I'm, if I'm improvising, you know, on like a big tour where there's like two like you know 50 inch screens like yeah i'm probably gonna play it kind of safe and just, you know, <laughs> yeah i mean I those, those completely non-musical factors weigh in yeah. to your fucking musical improvisation it's like dude when we're sitting in a club 
90% of the time, my audience is full of fucking guitar players. So the trap right. is I'm going to play something that's make them excited every second. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not really what I'm hearing, though, at this moment. And mm-hmm. what I what I would yeah. play just given my own devices. But but sometimes it happens, though. Sometimes you want to do something to make somebody go, ooh, you know? Yeah. Uh, or sometimes know people that you are have fucking... that in your back pocket. Yeah. Yes. Is, yeah. you know, and being able to, like, wield it responsibly. Yeah, or or sometimes maybe they're fucking being loud and not paying attention to you, and you play something to get, to get their attention, or you go the other way yeah. and you break down dynamically. Or there's so many things that can imp- influence an improvisation that are not musical in any way. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, cool. That was a good sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Dude. All right. Number six. What do you feel is your biggest weakness on the guitar? Man, where to start? <laughs> uh, honestly, like one thing that I've been working on in quarantine, um, where like I've I've checked out, uh, I've I've gone down the Josh Smith uh, rabbit hole, is um is like my right hand, um, okay. and just sort of like I, technique, like was never something like I really like worked on aside from like the transcribing element. Like I've never really paid attention to like how I hold the pick mm-hmm. um, and how other guys hold the pick. And like, I didn't pay attention to like, do I use my fingers most of the time or like, am mm-hmm. I? And so I, I really, I, I felt like I was in a place where um, I was not as fluid as I wanted to be. Like I couldn't quite express like the way I wanted to express, I was kind of like just um, weighed down by like lack of facility. And so I, I, I just like, yeah, I, I, I spent months of like doing a deep dive into right hand technique. Um, and like, took, like I would ask friends, like, can you just show me like, how are how do you hold the pick? Like, and, and um, paying attention to like, yeah, where how other people were syncing these two things up, mm-hmm. and um, and so so yeah, that I th- I think I've I think I've gotten I think I've gotten a little better, but still like I'm not I'm definitely not the most like technically uh, proficient guitar player. Um, well, it's amazing how how much technique is driven by you know the actual like want to play some sort of piece of vocabulary. It's like you normally won't put in the time to learn the technique unless you just have to know that piece of music or that vocabulary. Yeah. But then that changes your whole fucking life. It's like, so yeah, when I tried to start learning Danny Gatton vocabulary, it was like, well, if I didn't learn the technique, I couldn't play the vocabulary. So it was like, but then that changed the way I played all guitar for the rest of my life, Mm. you know? Yeah, because you you do a fair amount of picking fingers. Oh yeah, I mean it's all the time. And that, you know, it's always, yeah. and that came from. Did that come from the Danny Yatton stuff? A hundred percent. It was you know yeah. trying to play some of those banjo type things that he played and those double mm-hmm. stops with the dead notes and all that stuff. And it was yeah, it, physically impossible to do with just the pick because before that point. I yeah. played with my fingers anchored down on the pick guard and just to pick yeah. like this, you know, and do you still, yeah, it was are you floating most of the time now? Now I'm floating all the time. Yeah. I'm floating yeah. all the time. Just, just like this. Yeah. But right. I mean, it changed the way, you know, that I play. Well, 
lost my guitar. Anyways, all it right. changed the way I played rhythm. It changed, you know, all of the. It, yeah. it changed the way Dude, I played your guitar. Rhythm thing is so deep too. I feel like people don't hear you do that stuff as much as the lead stuff. But even just yeah. the scary pocket stuff that we did, your your uh, yeah, your right hand like the the rhythm stuff is. Thanks, man. Right. Well, I right worked now. equally as hard on that, and and I was lucky too as a kid to have like guys lay into me, adults like. Dude, we don't mm -hmm. care that you can solo good for a kid. Like, you're in the band. Like, you have a job. You know what I mean? Like, right. you got to do your yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. crazy. Well, I don't know what happened to my guitar, but we'll come back to that. All right. Uh, who's a huge influence on your guitar playing that people would be surprised to hear? Ooh, good question. Um, people would be surprised to hear. Um, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know, Andrew McKay might be, <laughs> just because no, people don't know who Andrew is, but, um, Andrew aged now, they changed his name. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I used to go listen to him play in college and, uh, and like, and I, I got some like bootlegged recordings of, uh, of him just playing like, you know um a seventh what's that place called man it's been so long since we've been able to go hear music seventh seven grand oh yeah, yeah. and i yeah so like i yeah i'd i'd take andrew's playing apart and he i just felt like he had like a unique so such an expressive um way of playing that like made me feel like i gotta figure out how to do that that's cool man he's man yeah. is he still in hawaii He's still in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. That's a talented family. So talented. Yeah, I love, I mean, Danny, yeah. I love Danny to death, man. Always will. I know. They both just breathe musicality. They do everything yeah. they do. It's effortless and tasteful. Yep. 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 Uh, okay. On a gig situation, would you rather have a good guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? A great amp and a crappy guitar. Um, I'll take I'll take the good guitar. Oh, I'll take okay. the good guitar. I mean that if you're if you feel like you're fighting like that's that side of things, the, that that can be frustrating. It's yeah, somebody who's had to deal with a bunch of you know backlined three thirty fives and whatnot. Mm. Or you you look surprised. You would take the opposite. I'm the opposite. The I'm the opposite way. Yeah, I'd rather have yeah. whatever. I mean, not nah, it's got to at least be playable. But I'd rather have whatever guitar with you know my amp and my pedals and something comfortable than like this yeah. guitar and a JC120. You know, I'd I'd be much happier. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It took me a while to figure out like that you really are hearing the amp most of the time rather than mm -hmm. rather than the guitar you know what i mean people don't give it enough consideration not even just the amp yeah. the speaker people you got yeah there's a whole fucking generation not generation but group guitar player community who have never changed speakers in their amps they just don't question it they get an amp and it's right. got a speaker in it and whatever it's like you realize that's the last thing in the chain and it's what you're actually right. hearing is the speaker yeah, but it takes work because even just to realize what what a difference an amp makes, 
you kind of got to line a couple of them up and then a b them and then yep. same thing with speakers like try a couple different speakers and in the same amp and really hear yep. how they push down differently mm-hmm. i feel like you know most 99 percent of people don't really get to a place where they they do all that but you're yeah right. i think i think for, as far as like what's gonna make the best sound i think you're right <laughs> they're like amp and pedals probably matter more than the guitar but i just hate fighting shitty guitars i so I get I, it. i'll take, take comfortability over over yeah. sound all right. all right fair enough fair enough it's been split 50 yeah. 50 on the answers with everybody really so, yeah yeah well and some of it a lot of guys are tied to certain instruments are a very big part of their performance like so much so they couldn't even do the gig unless they had like that guitar you know what yeah. i mean so i get it interesting yeah all right number nine what keeps you motivated to learn new shit so yeah we're in the quarantine and you say you've been working on your right hand yeah but like what keeps you going and pushing to be better tomorrow than today because that's a, a it's a super obsession for me yeah um that's a great question um hearing i mean the, i guess the the question is like what 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 inspires you sort of yeah, what keeps you wanting to put in the time? Because we all know yeah. guys who reach a level of playing and they don't keep growing. And it's not a negative thing. Yeah. Being content is great. But we all know those guys who either stop and they sound the same for the next 30 years or guys who just have new shit all the time and are constantly pushing themselves. Totally. So, like, what totally. keeps you pushing yourself? I think I think it's it's two things. It's the um, the carrot and the stick the stick being like i'll i'll put myself in a situation where like i can't i can't really execute the like or or i'm kind of just dissatisfied with like a, a, an aspect of my playing where i see i just get so frustrated with like where i'm at with a certain thing that mm-hmm. it's like okay i'm i'm not going to be happy unless i work on this um and then and then the the carrot being like listening to listening to good music and like listening to good guitar players like um do you know pedro i don't even know how to say his last name pedro martin yeah yeah wow so talented yeah yeah Yeah. when i like that is actually i think what spurred like the like four months of just like eight hour a day like technique practice because I, I went down, I heard him for the first time um, and it just blew my mind. And he just like used his technique in the most musical way. And it mm-hmm. just sounds like everything he does just sounds like so free and like ex- expressive. Um, but you can also hear the 10,000 hours of technique. Practice. Yeah. 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 He told me we, we, uh, I like we had a couple Zoom hangs, and like he told me about that because I'm I'm always curious like how hard people work for where they are. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's some people that don't practice and they can they can just do things, yeah. and then there's it always makes me feel better when someone tells me about their you know eight hours a day for twelve years phase. Right. Um, yeah. He he's he said like when he was a kid, he he got like pretty dissatisfied with his playing and he would just walk around in brazil 
with like a guitar like in the countryside and just go on these like long walks and just be like shedding technique so yeah for like for a couple of weeks early quarantine i just like took my guitar and i was just walking around highland park just like ear <laughs> metronome you know what i mean with a metronome in your ears yeah i'd have like my headphones and a metronome and i would just be like practicing like technique stuff walking could you even hear know? your guitar i could hear it yeah yeah interesting uh, yeah wow. Well, that's a good, that's good, man. In a, you know, and yeah, I mean, so much what keeps me motivated is not just, yeah, I want to be better and I want to learn new things. But of course, a lot of it is driven by hearing somebody else do something Yeah, and not out of totally. jealousy, out of pure inspiration. Like, wow, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Pedro is so inspiring. You're so inspiring. Um, oh, thanks, like Nathan and I are working on a record and he, and, uh, and he's, you know, He's got so much cool shit together. Yeah, he does. Blake Mills is like, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. always, always inspiring. So, yeah, dude, inspiration is never more than like five seconds away from like, it's really, yeah, it's right there. Oh, man. True. All right. Number 10. Do you have a five year plan? Is it just to continue what you're doing now and just make it better? Is there a goal that you really, really want to accomplish that is like, Oh, this is where I'm headed or is it just kind of go with the flow? Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so it, it's, I, I feel like for, for each, for each endeavor, we, I sort of have an idea of like where things are headed. Like, um, like pockets kind of has a, a plan in terms of like, um, how I would like to see how Jack and I like kind of dream about that going, you know, if, right. if it keeps going. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think the, the basic idea is to like, to stay like inspired and to stay positive and to stay productive. Like I sort of realized that's the thing is like a guitar player. I'm trying to balance all the time is like practice versus productivity. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel yeah. like my, my, my playing will sort of go up and down, you know, in terms of like how proficient, like I feel. Mm -hmm. um, but if I have nothing to show for it, like if I go through a, a long stretch where I don't record a song or write a new song, then I kind of start to feel not good. Um, so, yeah, my, the, the five-year plan is sort of like getting the – getting like the live thing going as far as scary pockets is concerned when we're able to do that again and right. um and grow, growing that as far as like the the whole machine do you know what i mean like it's kind yeah. of become this like weird sort of record record label you know like yeah. situation so building building that and building the the live situation and then um, as far as like my music, I tend to be, try to be more like process oriented just because, um, yeah, I, I don't really think about outcomes as, as much as just like, how can I keep myself in a creative place where I feel like going into the studio and making something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I, you know, just trying to like, write and record as much as possible. Um, so that's, those are kind of like 
the two things is like pockets and how to keep um, making my own music. And then the, the other work, like the sideman stuff and the producing, I've always felt like I've never, it's not stuff that I've um, ever felt like I could go looking for. It's always yeah. felt like if I just do my thing, then people kind of get a, a sense for what my taste is. And then that stuff just kind of comes and goes. Like sometimes I'll go through periods where I'm working a lot, doing up things for other people, and then the phone will stop ringing. And I'll, all right, yeah. I go make a record. Yeah, but the more you put out there kind of what your thing is, the more yeah. the gigs you'll get called for will be rewarding because they're calling you for what you do, actually. Yeah. Not just to do yeah. a job. Yeah. Totally. Which totally. is great. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. That was it. That was the 10 questions. I appreciate it. Oh, shit. And, Dude, uh, you're a, can I just say, you're a great interviewer. Thanks, man. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Yeah, it's I got hard, a lot of practice it's hard already. To do, but I can tell you've done a lot of these because you just have a really good way of keeping things moving and asking good questions, and this is so appreciate much fun. I can't, I can't thank you enough for, for asking me to do this. Of course. And for everybody, there will be links to all things Ryan Lerman in the, the body of this video. And if you're not a member yet, just hit join and become a member. And if you don't want to be a member, at least subscribe because I would appreciate the support. But for members, we'll be back in a minute with the turn two thing. But thank you, Ryan, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Thank you, Josh. I have nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs>